All right, fellas, we're we're recording. Yo, hey, we back once again. Thank Indeed. you, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I'm out here today with the one and only Babatunde and yo, yo. our our brand new third member of the podcast. Now that he's gotten a mic, uh, the third leg, Ayole. <laughs> Yes, it's official. Ehi, the instigator, aka the investigator, aka the official third, third the official third, 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 third leg, the, the one-eyed snake, <laughs> <laughs> the official third co-host of Real Talk Beyond the Headlines. Hashtag RTBTH. That is what you are listening to right now. Hey, how does it feel? How does it fucking feel, man? It's uh it's an honor. I'd like to thank Tunde and Herschel for <laughs> extending this opportunity to me. I am eternally grateful and I will do my best to enlighten the crowds and entertain. Most definitely. Just keep being the instigator, keep being the investigator. We need keep more of that on the that podcast. Real talk. Yeah. That's Test. right. Test. RTBTH listeners, if you want to join our podcast and be an official co-host, all you have to do is get a blue Yeti microphone and an MDPHD. <laughs> That's a lot to ask. <laughs> well, you know what? Yeah, you that, did it. That, that, that blue Yeti might be a little too much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That brings us into our next main topic for this podcast. Which is congrats, con fucking congratulations, Ehi! God damn it! Yeah, thank you. Finally graduated. Eight eight long years, man. Eight long years, but the 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 time does you eventually. You know, you don't really do the time; you just ride through it. Wow, that man said it's only two days. You really do the day you go in, the day you come out. Damn. That's how you got to look at it. That's how you got to look at it, man. Okay, so bars. so Ehi, are you officially officially out? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a whole academia? ass doctor. Whole ass. Nice. Oh, what do you mean? What do you mean out of school or? Out I mean, of- like you know, do you have to show up on Washu's campus ever again? Oh no, 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 man! They, they mailed my diploma to the crib. Oh, <laughs> sure. well, my Yo. two diplomas. <laughs> All right. There you go. Let's go ahead and get that on the Instagram. Have, what have you uh, done to celebrate? Like, what was the first thing or the most heinous shit you did? Like, Yo, I'm a motherfucking doctor. Just snort a whole bunch of marijuanas. <laughs> snort. <laughs> yeah. I, was saying, I don't know what they do these days, man. Shit is crazy. Man, I was on lockdown, man. And shit going on. Oh, oh yeah. Still nothing to do. Damn. I had to I had to burn one though, you know. For the people's <laughs> For real, for real. <laughs> so hey man, you know, you, you don't have to go into crazy, crazy detail, but it has been eight years, man. Tell us about you know, you don't have to go into like the the school life, you know, unless you want to. But what what has changed over those eight years, man? You know, how yeah, has dude, that I mean, impacted who you are? Because you know, when you when you come straight from college and you do something like this, you basically come with that same college mentality from senior year. And if you remember like senior year, like I remember senior year, I was basically just going ham the entire time. So. When you get to, to medical school, you kind of just end up continuing. But luckily, luckily, the first year of medical school is not that hard if you have um, a background in 
like basic science. So I was like a biology and chemistry major. So I didn't have like, to really so. do too much work the first year. So I, I just continued going, going ham for another year because nobody took, they didn't take attendance. Classes were pass fail. So I went ham, man. I went all over St. Louis. Me and my buddy yeah, Raul. I feel like there's a lot of uh, medical students, first year medical students who would very much disagree with those comments, but shout out to you for being a motherfucking genius. So I know, right? That's what's you, up, man. You said first year medical school is not that hard. If you have a degree from Emory in both biology and chemistry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's kind of how it goes. I mean, 13 degrees. <laughs> that, I mean, that's just how it is. I mean, I'm being I'm completely, completely honest. I mean, obviously, you know, I should have been studying more in the in the grand scheme of things but i'm glad i didn't i mean people got to be well-rounded man you gotta you gotta live your life there's more more to life than studying because i mean when i was in the hospital man i i had great patient rapport you know just because i had outside experiences i could relate to essentially anyone that i saw because i was out in the streets man i was meeting and talking to all kinds of people so um, you know, and th- and I think that's what really matters in medicine. The problem in medicine is that not enough people actually have that opportunity or take that opportunity to to get out there and and do stuff. So I think if, you know, if anything, there was a lot of benefits from from going ham. <laughs> if you know, if you get what I'm saying. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I was going to say, isn't that part of like, you know, even when you're applying to medical school, there's an interview process where they try to figure out whether or not you're a robot. I would, would that not yeah, have been? Yeah, but I mean, you have to think about it like this too. Like the people who are interviewing you are pretty similar to, I wouldn't call them robots, but you know, they're the people, a lot of people are a lot of, you know, very academic, scholarly kind of people. They're not, um, they're not going to emphasize too much of the, the outside experiences outside of the standard oh i volunteered at the hospital oh i you know volunteered at the soup kitchen and i shadowed you know this is the things that they ask oh yeah right i went on a trip to venezuela and i learned some spanish and you know dig a dug a ditch you know this is kind of stuff that (laughs) because it all it all fits into a very you know it's a it's a schematic that they're they're looking for. So once you once you check the boxes, you can have a you know a decent conversation with people who are like you. You know you've they've they're from the same background. A lot of these kids, their parents are doctors. Um, you know they've been around this institution for a while. So it's it's not hard. I mean, yeah, you you can't be a complete weirdo, but if you're just better than that by a little bit, you you pass that part of the interview. Um, but that's not what it takes to be, you know, to, to connect with regular people. Most people aren't like that. And that's where that right. divide sort of comes up. Yo, do you, I, I know it was eight years ago or I guess nine years ago now when you were applying, do you remember what you might've said in interviews to like get yourself on the map? Oh, I mean, I think honestly, so I didn't even understand how these interviews worked, but, um, my my PI who who interviews medical students, MD PhD folks, he um basically he was telling me that I mean you might want to take this with a grain of salt because the guy sometimes I'm not sure if you can 100 percent believe what he tells you, but you talking about he, uh, the biophysics dude? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. He um but he he said that 
basically they they have decided before you get there whether or not they want to let you in. So mm. it kind of frames the it kind of frames the the conversation a little bit. So all, all my interviews except for one at UCSF were completely um friendly. There were just like just general conversations. There wasn't a lot of and you know they they kind of were just like they it would seem more like they were trying to convince me to come more than anything um like mm. in Colombia it was like that vandy like there's a lot of places that it just seemed like they were very open to having you there but i mean i don't know this is you know it's a it's hard to know from you know other people's perspectives because this is kind of what i thought cuz like cuz with the md phd program it's not really like the standard medical school interview. So I did one of those interviews for most schools. You have like a 20 minute interview with somebody and they really don't factor that in too much for the MD PhD folks. A lot of the times, um, the majority of your interviews, quote unquote interviews were just conversations with different professors who did you got to pick out <laughs> essentially like you submit a list of professors that you're interested in their sort of work. And then they just like, get, you know, as many of them as they can. And then you just like have a conversation with them. And usually they're just like talking about science and general stuff that you're interested in. And so the conversation went like that. So I never was, I never felt like I was being assessed, but apparently my PI was telling me that, yeah, there's supposed to be interviews. Like if you were, if they didn't want you to come or they were like questionable about you, they would have made it, it could have been different. I was like, huh, interesting. But I don't. I wouldn't know, man. I, I I just thought they were very laid back. So it's. I guess it's different for different people. Yeah, and I assume you matched that energy anytime they gave it out. Like if if they were laid back, you came in pretty much chilling. But like they yeah. told me uh, as I was asking you guys about your PhD process interviewing, since I was also just applying. Like, how the fuck do you come in here and differentiate differentiate yourself? And my experience, I would say the same thing. Like it felt like. They not not necessarily that they had already decided and they were they were like either, you know, we're you, this isn't going to make or break you. But if you end up being a sociopath, we'll definitely like cut the ripcord right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was definitely like, I mean, you know, they're selling themselves just as much as you are selling yourself to them. Exactly. So, it, yeah, like you said, you match this, the energy that they come with. And so um, a lot of times the energy was very positive and open. So I kind of felt pretty relaxed yeah and i didn't really think of them as interviews honestly (laughs) yeah so um i just want to uh drop two books or plug two books with regard to some of the things you brought up ahi the first one is in shock my journey from death to recovery and the redemptive power of hope by reina audish and this author is a physician in one of these New York hospitals, but um, in the book, she's just talking about how she had like a horrific medical situation. And she just felt like there was such a lack of empathy from the physicians, you know, and she's a physician. So she's like got this real intricate uh, perspective. And then also mm-hmm. the other book is deep medicine by Derek, <laughs> Eric Topol. My bad. Um, oh yeah. And so this book is about, artificial intelligence and medicine um by the way listeners tune in because that ai podcast is coming to you soon all three of us 
are deeply interested. Yo, in there's there's like a, speaking of Eric Topol, um, I got an email yesterday that he's having at least him and people at Johns Hopkins. I'm not even sure exactly are uh, there's supposed to be some kind of shit. Where to go? There's supposed to be some sort of like webcast. Um, oh, here it is. I'm looking at it right now. It's like uh, this. They sent it to a bunch of MD PhD people, but I think anyone can show up. It's like Eric Topol and uh, a couple other MDs and PhD people who are interested in artificial intelligence. It's like going to be on June 20th. I'll send you. I'll forward it to y'all. Yeah. Y'all can take advantage. Please do. Uh, but inside the book, there's a quote. Which, again, sort of touches on this idea of, like, empathy and, you know, that sort of human connection that is all too crucial in, in medical care. But the quote in the book, the greatest opportunity offered by AI is not reducing errors or workloads or even curing cancer. It is the opportunity to restore the precious and time-honored connection and trust the human touch between patients and doctors. So, I hear you, Ehi. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure if I 100% agree with that, but I, I, I think it, it makes it, it's, it's going in the right direction, I guess. <laughs> I would be interested to see what he means by that. I, I kind of don't, don't agree with it either. Well, I, I can, I can break it down a little bit. You know, uh, we can obviously touch on it more in the next podcast. But the idea is that nowadays the medical profession is riddled with data entry and in these computer related tasks and um, physicians are just don't have time to see their patients and actually connect with them and be empathic towards their concerns because they're spending so much time working with these, you know, data input tools, these computer systems, insurance uh, and billing and, and reviewing like medical imaging um, as opposed to actually connecting with patient. So he's suggesting that AI could, take away some of these more mundane data-oriented tasks and uh, open up time within the physician's schedule to connect and interact with their patients. Yeah, I got you. I mean, it makes sense, but I, I think um, the main benefit is scale. I mean, I guess the I see what he's saying. Like He's trying to make it swing it back because a lot of people are afraid that AI, at least a lot of physicians I know, um, are afraid that AI is going to replace them. And I think he's saying this to sort of quell that sort of fear. But I mean, the, the whole point of AI is to, to have less human contact because humans can't do everything and you can make everything way more efficient and help more people. But yeah, I mean, I guess I, it makes sense, but that's not really the, that's not a necessity. You don't need to have the human touch to be cured of your disease, but it's nice. Right, right, right. Uh, I definitely feel like the implications of it are probably much better for public health and the more grandiose sphere. But I mean, it's it just sounds like wishful thinking. Like, I don't think you're, he's going to get that much or the end goal would actually get that much time back in a doctor's day. Um, yes, they are, you know, reviewing images and, and working with other tools, but a lot of that makes their job easier. Um, I think that it is, you know, a greater situation of doctors treating the symptoms rather than 
the overarching causes. And in, for your industry, Tunde, where you're working like in psychology, I think that connection to patients would be very useful where you get a lot of that time back. But for the most part, when somebody's pulling up to the emergency room with chest pain or, you know, their, their left side hurts or some shit, they don't need to necessarily get to know their doctor. Um, well, though, it's I, not again, just I about guess g- it, getting to know the doctor, mm-hmm. though. And um, I, I, I hear where you're coming from. And I agree that perhaps maybe it makes more sense for people who are dealing with mental and behavioral health issues. But it's just like, you know, his, his perspective and also in the book In Shock, it's kind of like the the doctors sort of gloss over any um, empathy, you know, components of just trying to understand the person. You know, it, it's just come in, sort of, you know, do your diagnostic testing and figure out what's going on and treat as opposed to really getting some feedback from the patient about their medical concerns and, and sort of their process of dealing with this, these medical ailments and treatment. Yeah, it's paternalistic, man. It's a paternalistic system. So yeah. the doctor knows best and like a lot, if it, if it doesn't, the problem is that there's a lot of extraneous information in medicine. You know, like there's a lot of stuff that people will tell you about their disease that is not related. And, um, yeah, you know, you want to be able to make them feel like you understand them and like accept that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, when people are rushed, they they didn't got that kind of time. They they're trying to hit the high points and you know get it done. So I mean, there's you know positives and minuses, you know, both on on either side. So I don't, I don't I don't know. I just feel like the the first thing we need to do is make sure that everybody has good access to preventative health care and healthcare when they need it. Yo, so speaking of fucked up systems, I feel like that brings us to our main point today, Tunde. What do you think? Oh, uh, very well said and perfect transition. Um, <laughs> so, you know, the RTBTH boys have been mulling and pondering, asking questions, thinking deeply about the death of George Floyd. And, you know, we're just going to share some reactions, share our thoughts. But first of all, I just want to say, you know, I am a person of reason and in previous police killings, you know, I'm like, the situation always appears to be within question. You know, I'm not denying police brutality, but in the past, I could see how a lawyer could argue for one side or the other. However, with George Floyd, the moment I saw that video, the first thing I thought was murder. Without question, hands down. And that was a really, really difficult feeling because murder is not something that we deal with on a daily basis. And also, it's like uh, portrayed in, in the media and in television and movies. You know, we just see people getting splacked. Murder is kind of just overlooked and desensitized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well said. Perfectly said. But, you know, when you see it, actually happening and that's one thing that really bothers me is that it's just being replayed uh it's it's a really horrifying feeling bruh so um i'm kind of getting ahead of myself because i wanted to talk about this later when we talk about other specific people and what people have said during this time but uh i heard an interview today that was fucking powerful um from jane elliott 
Um, Jane Elliott is basically the lady. Uh, she's famous for um, essentially after she's really old. After Martin Luther King was assassinated, she was a teacher of like these third graders or, you know, some elementary school teacher or whatever. And she was already, you know, somewhat of an advocate for race or whatever. But basically, the following day, she performed this uh, blue eyes, brown eyes experiment um, on her students uh, to kind of demonstrate racial bias and like how racism affects people, how it's unfair, how systemic racism can be, particularly for these white kids that she was teaching. Um, and she went on to do the shit over and over and over at different levels, up to college levels, to fucking grad school levels. And generally, the uh, impact would be the same. Like people would lash out and, you know, feel like they were being attacked and then walk out. And then she would be like, yo, you see that? You see how you walked out of this stressful situation where your life is not on the line. Martin Luther King got killed and you, a white person just decided to walk out. That's not, you know, she was just essentially highlighting like the issues of racism. But today she talked about why they keep showing the George Floyd murder over and over and over and over on TV. And the same thing with like the repeated viewing of police brutality. Like, yes, you know, the media is doing a service by informing us of some shit happening, but always putting it on your TV, particularly in places that are very inflammatory, like Fox News, shit like that. Uh, she was like, yo, it's a way of keeping people in place, like it, to keeping you in fear. Like you might know that protests and like bad shit and, and police brutality is happening all the time these days. I, I don't know why I have to fucking qualify like that, but all the time, but um, showing it repeatedly puts fear into black people saying, oh, this can still happen. Uh, I was actually, somebody asked me if I wanted to protest this weekend and not, not that I was afraid of it ha happening. I actually couldn't cause I have uh, a work conference and shit all week. I would like to get out and be doing stuff, but it did cross. I have to admit it crossed my mind. Like what if something happens to me going out? Uh, I just actually shared a story with Tunde where like my mom was super fucking agitated uh, watching the news and, and, you know, texting me like, yo, there's a curfew at 9 p.m. Don't go outside thinking like, yo, I'm not I didn't I wasn't planning on being anywhere. But she was super riled up, which caused me to be super riled up. And we got into an argument of uh, essentially her turning, wanting her to turn off local news because all it's doing is re replaying this these same horrific images. And you're not learning any new information from yeah, you know, watching this fear. on a Yeah, on a 24 hour news cycle. There's nothing new <laughs> coming in from there. Um, but it it's it's people people are drawn to it partially because you know we are a fucking violent society we can't help ourselves to be curious and know what the fuck is going on it's uh i mean it's really toxic and it continues to kind of just bombard our airways whether it's social media or not you know many of us have you know outside of even just the fucking social media protest posting black or whatever the fuck um also i got, I got some takes on that but I'll get into it. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I completely agree with you, Herschel, 100%. Because it's crazy because um, I, uh, I'm i about to go back home and stay with my parents for a couple months before I start work. Um, and I was, I was thinking about, like, my exercise routine and shit when I get back. And I was like, yeah, I could just, like, you know, be jogging around the neighborhood, go to the pool, use the, the – uh, the little playground they have there to do some pull-ups and stuff like that. And then because of that Ahmad Arbery stuff that I, that kept getting replayed and I kept seeing it all over the place, I was like, 
man, is somebody in my neighborhood going to try to shoot me? Maybe that shit's not a good idea. Maybe I should stay inside and use a treadmill. You know, like that actually crossed my mind. Even though I grew up there, like I was running around riding my bike, doing all kinds of stuff, never had a thought in my mind about anything going bad over there. I mean, the majority of our neighbors are white, but you know, I never had any of those thoughts growing up, but literally like a week or two ago, I, I was started thinking about that, you know, and I'm just like, what? That's just so ridiculous. But it's you're so right. It it promotes fear. And I never really actually even thought about like it's being maybe maybe it's pur- purposeful that the people are putting it out there or maybe it's not. But um, it definitely does get to you at a certain point. It, it does. Yeah, I, I mean, it could be argued, you know, I mean, these uh, media companies have to compete with each other. You, if Fox News is just plastering it on the television, I mean, CNN has to kind of compete. You know, I don't know much about the media, but yeah, I mean, the thing is that these systemic issues are, are really hard to like really track and, and, and determine. You know, we know there's systemic issues and there we know that things need to be done, but integrating both of those is just a gargantuan task um i would like to say Ahi, about what you just mentioned man which is kind of sad but i've had similar thoughts recently i think this touches on the one of the main issues with racism and pol- police brutality and other race related issues uh but you have to have that thought you know like you can't exist without having that thought and having that thought in and of itself is stress. All of us, all three of us mm-hmm. know how stress affects the body, you know, and it's just this perpetual stress from having to make those or think those things, having to make decisions in order to not get caught up in situations like what Ahmad Arbery was in. And over time, yeah, that stress continues to compound. And I think hopefully for a lot of white people that they will learn that that the very simple fact of being a person of color invites those thoughts it invites those decisions that you have to make in order to avoid brutality or persecution and that in and of itself is stressful and stress affects the human body the human physiology negatively so i mean i know you're just telling us what's real but it's kind of sad to hear that man yeah it kind of made me a little sad too but it's it's unfortunate, man. I, you know, it's crazy because I never really had those thoughts before, but I made that connection now because Herschel was telling me about having seeing those images all the time, and yeah, kind of it's troublesome. It's yeah, it's stressful, kind of. I mean, if, if 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 even if it's not stressful to you, at least it it'll cause you to hesitate and it'll limit you in more ways than one. Exactly. Yeah, it's a form of control. Um, we are you know, always talking about propaganda and all kind of other uh, ways that news and social media and shit affect us. This is just another new thing uh, that I think, you know, it's not really, you're not really able to stop it because we do need to know and be informed what the fuck is going on. But having the cognizance to be aware of when it's negatively affecting you gives you more power over that stress. Um, and I, th- I know, Tunde, you wanted to talk more about stress a little bit later, but did you want to like embracing stress and how we wanted to uh or anxiety i think is is how you uh put it did you want to talk about that now since we're kind of already you know that this is a good time to talk about that and um 
Sorry to throw off your. Hey, hey look, uh, man, this is RTBTH, man. Who keeps it gangster? <laughs> maybe, maybe we shouldn't talk about gangs and gangsters. But anyway, uh, so I had written inside the notes um, that um, people need to embrace the anxiety, and by that I mean there. I think the thing that strikes me the most that's different from this situation compared to Michael Brown six years ago. Um, I just have to say, I don't know. This is just me sort of falling into like a mental trap, but I was just like of the mindset after Michael Brown that there can't be a cop in America that would risk getting caught doing some dumb shit. And I was just like, you know what? You know what? Maybe things will change, man. You know, maybe things will change. Cause I'm just like, it's man, this camera's everywhere. That's very naive of you to think that. Yeah, I didn't think shit was going to change, man. I mean, yeah. I just figured that the social media pressure would just be too great. You know, dude, like they, they are so used to this. Like, dude, if somebody, if like, if your mom caught you beating off one day, does that mean you're gonna stop beating off forever? No. no. <laughs> but I'm you're just gonna saying, keep wow, off. what an analogy. Whoa, was, that's a very good analogy. I mean, it it works. Whoa. Okay. But I mean, you know. If my mom convinced me that beating off would, you know, destroy my life, then yeah, I would stop. Bro, that happens for a lot. You were doing. He still would stop. Yeah. Stop playing, man. Like that's a direct quote from my mother, actually. Yeah, no, well, stopped, but you know, it just be like that. But so the, as the I was other saying, thing, hold up, hold up. Yeah, so I'm not done with this analogy. I'm sorry to cut you off, but like, yo, we're talking about fundamental. Like, that's a biological thing. Like, that's a sexual drive urge. You're the way you're comparing that to police brutality is is kind of saying that they have to do this to keep that keep us in check basically. that's what the is police that, is yeah is that yes, what you're it's a, alluding it's, to it's, yes it's a fundamental system of their organization it's it's one of the tenets of their organization is is suppression of the black people i mean come on like over policing of black neighborhoods the the disparities in sentencing or, you know, even charging all the different, all the different things that everybody already knows. They talk about this isn't news, you know, it's, it's inherent in the system. Uh, they, That's the biggest thing. To if, me. Even if, even if the, the individual pieces of the, you know, the individual people, the participants in it don't want to do it, they're, they're, they're funneled into it. It's, it's a gravitational pull towards the core of their establishment. They're going to be, they're going to do it regardless well said a um so you know just going back to what i was mentioning about anxiety but as i was saying to me the thing that really stands out um compared to previous uprisings of protesting police brutality is that uh i mean i've been i've been contacted by a handful of white friends asking about my well-being thank you all um, <laughs> I'm doing well, uh, a little stressed, but doing okay, which is nothing I've ever experienced. You know, it seems like a lot of white people are taking it upon themselves to finally open up their awareness. Um, and th- that requires having difficult conversations, even for myself. I don't really particularly like talking about race, um, because it's, it's really difficult and complicated. And, you know, I try to think that I can outwork whatever racial oppressions i've encountered but what i have to say for the people that's the african bullshit man but i agree it 100 percent is um (laughs) but it's and the thing yeah so africans you know i guess i can't speak for all africans but 
the Africans I know generally tend to not lean into the race conversation, you know, um, and it's anxiety provoking for me to sort of like address these white people's concerns and and be honest and say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing fine, but I'm very distressed by the video. Um, and I'm sure it's also very anxiety provoking for them to f- to finally have these conversations with people of color. And my word of advice is for everybody when it comes to the race conversations and the race tensions, you have to lean into it. This is textbook exposure therapy. You have to receive more of the anxiety in order to become comfortable, it, comfortable with it and eventually for it to dissipate. So, you know, I can't necessarily say that I'm like upholding this ideology, but, you know, I recognize that I have to have these tough conversations. And so do white people. This is the thing that to me sets apart this particular protest is that people are finally willing to have the tough conversations. So, yo, my my recommendation is to embrace the anxiety and learn to love it. And I, I get that that's a very difficult thing for everyone. Um, that's not, you know, it's obviously easier said than done. Our, our initial, you know, gut reaction is probably always to evade anxiety, do whatever we can to get away from it. But I mean, yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think it does, you know, the way like you'll be a kid and your dad will make you fucking, you know, cut the grass or fucking, you know, shovel the snow in the yard or whatever uh, I, I don't know we don't get snow in Atlanta but anyway all those things that build character that fucking stress uh, I see this as the same thing but yeah, so you guys you know both being Nigerians uh, raised an interesting point that um, I don't really think about that often because I'm just uh, and I'm not going to say regular black because that is derogatory but you know, I'm, I'm just African American my last name is fucking Smith Like it's definitely from somebody's slave owner from somewhere, you know, it is what it is. But so during all of these like protests and shit around the world and whatnot, I haven't heard very much. Like, I always wonder what Africa, not only Africans, but Africans in Africa where damn near everybody is black. And I'm not talking about South Africa. I'm talking about West Africa. I'm talking about Ethiopia. I'm talking about, I mean, I'm not talking about Congo because they've got their own issues going on, but those places are all also have been hit with, you know, racial divides and shit like that. Uh, are they still protesting? I, I have just Googled some shit and seen like, all right, there's protests in Ghana, but like the police in Ghana are black. What, you know, what, <laughs> but also they don't have an issue of police brutality. I, I presume like this is not, not necessarily just an American thing, but it's a fucking Western world issue. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I can speak to that a little bit. Cause I, I literally yesterday I talked to like three of my family members in Nigeria for like hours. So, I asked them about the the protests and I mean, they, everybody, you know, they all know, you know, black people everywhere know that black people are tr- mistreated all over the world. I mean, just, you know, it's not just the U S and China. They were treating, mistreating Africans and trying to blame them for coronavirus as if <laughs> it came from Africa. I mean, absurd shit, you know, stuff that doesn't even make any logical sense. But on the case of, you know, the Ahmad Arbery and um, George Floyd, situations the black people are they're obviously outraged i mean they're not surprised in in the least but there's not too many protests in terms of like you know we're gonna turn up turn up against our police people i mean they're they they have different issues um so i mean there's there's a lot of solidarity and they you know they care and they want to see stuff move forward because 
black a gain for black people in one part of the world is a gain for black people everywhere. But um, I don't think you know at least for me when when I asked actually the the majority of the protests at least in Nigeria what I've heard of is yeah there's people you know speaking about Black Lives Matter but um, in Nigeria particularly they're talking about the the issue with rape um, and the police's lack of enforcement of um, rape because of the weird structure of the laws and, you know, sort of societal expectations and things like that. And so people have been, you know, trying to get better enforcement of, you know, legal rights for women, because that's pretty much the only people who you can suppress there are <laughs> are women. You can't really suppress black people there. There's no really no other races uh, there. So it's I think a lot of that is mostly pushing for equality for women. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah, you know, that that um, makes me think about, I, I would say, a sort of like bird's eye view perspective of police brutality, you know, and these race related killings, which is that police, the military, you know, that that's like a very I, I don't know how to say this, but there is an issue with the sort the force and authority that comes with police and militaries like just inherently there's going to be some kind of um conflicts with with regular people if you escalate these uh these resources and these forces you know um i've been watching these youtube videos recently um lectures from michelle michelle alexander me and he actually saw her at emory I think right when her book dropped, so we didn't even realize how epic that was. But she but came. Who was Emory. Yeah, she was in that that once. Wait, who? Who? Which chick? Mich- Michelle Alexander. She's the one that wrote the New Jim Crow. Oh yeah, I didn't even know who she was. Yeah, yeah that's right. that was when her book dropped, 2010, bro. We didn't even realize like how epic that was. We just bro, like, we were too lying. we were too busy turning up. <laughs> probably just went to go get some snacks but uh, yeah she came and she spoke at every man and i'm sure she broke it down but i've watched a couple videos on youtube of uh lectures and you know i think she's pretty much been lecturing non-stop because the conversation never ends but um you know she's she breaks down like mass incarceration she talks about how police forces have escalated since the 70s since the start of the war on drugs um she talks about how bill clinton the Clinton administration really escalated it like even more so than Reagan and Reagan is always, you know, given the moniker of the law and order president. Um, but it's just like, if you add it, it, the more you escalate the police, the military, whatever it is, the national guard, it's going to result in conflict. It, it's just inevitably, at least that's where I stand. Absolutely. I mean, when you, when you have like you're over here, and you have your picket signs, you got some t-shirts, people are just chanting and walking, and then <laughs> you got dudes with straps, <laughs> like yeah. military rifles, you know, guys with grenades of all sorts, and they're over here lining the streets, looking at you menacingly. It changes the whole atmosphere if it was just a bunch of people having the gay pride parade, which is could be called the same exact thing, mm. but you don't have police and people in riot gear just all standing out there i mean just the presence of them escalates it i mean do you do you expect to have the national guard at the gate you know the the thanksgiving day turkey parade like no yeah, you know the women's you don't march. see that 
Yeah, the woman. I mean, any of that stuff. You don't. Damn, ha- you don't see that. Nobody's turning up. So when you bring those people out, it automatically raises tensions. I mean, like people. You, it looks like people are coming to fight you, even if they haven't done anything. It's like, why are you there with a with a tank? You know. That's a great observation. Yeah. Wow. So, I never thought Herschel, about that. Let me ask you a question, man. Is our next step to defund the police? Bruh, so I don't understand what that means thus far. <laughs> me neither. Like, I, I don't know if I've just not read enough. I, like, I've, I've tried to get into some articles about it and stuff, and I've seen what Minneapolis is trying to do and whatnot. But, and, and I get that, you know, to, to, rectify a broken system sometimes you have to tear down the entire system but i think this is without any other information on it yet i think this is one of those buzzword fucking things that just sounds good that doesn't really mean what we think it means and i i would be uh remiss to like sign on to something that i don't fully understand yet i don't think people should do it either um but i think it's an easy hashtag i think it's an easy quick statement for Minneapolis uh, fucking politicians and things to say to get heat off their backs for the time being, but uh, again, I need to figure out more about. Yeah, that. I mean, so it's a, it's a, a right wing talking point. It's a right wing yeah. talking point now. You you see um, the Attorney General Barr coming out talking about it thinks it's a stupid idea. Um, you know, all the Fox News people are are you know riling up race baiting all of this their usual antics about this. Um, to scare, to scare people. I mean, I, I don't understand it enough either. So I, I mean, I can't tell you exactly what it is. I mean, I think, you know, it's a very harsh term, uh, for what they actually want to do. But like I said, like it's, it makes it easy to, to vilify, which is problematic in this day and age where people are looking for opportunities to, to stop any kind of momentum for progress. Yo, yeah. I think it's, uh, similar to one of those things that happened during like the first, not the first, I, I shouldn't say it like that. But during the Iraq war, when uh, Bush was president and stuff, where they talked about like uh, the enemy as insurgents, they kind of take away the humanity of the people that were fighting against and shit yes. like that. Like the idea yes. of saying defund the police is, another, like you said, another one of those buzzwords. But as as I try to look and, and think, like, what could this even mean? Does this mean like removing funds so they can't purchase equipment um because that i don't know that that's going to happen like i would imagine most of the money goes to uh salaries and benefits for for people and fucking lawyers for for cops to get off and you know paying the da and all kind of shit like that like i don't you know are we talking about an entire you know criminal justice justice system reform because i haven't heard that shit i haven't heard anybody say that (laughs) yeah yeah that's that's true i mean i think i think the the general gist of it from the like five minutes that I that I saw like posts about it is it doesn't mean like to just turn off police and then like go away guys stay at home but I think they what people mean by that is they want to take some money out of the police department and reattribute it to other social groups or social causes to help the community more effectively than through policing um there was a there was a the Dallas police chief was saying that um the police are not well equipped for all of the tasks that has been given to them because they don't want to, you know, when you don't fund, you know, mental health and you don't fund, um, yep. you know, after school activities for kids, you don't fund all these different issues, you know, issues that the community needs to support it. The police are the ones that ends up doing it. And so, you know, they're building up the police budget, you know, hiring police officers to take care of all of the, you know, the, the miscreants and the crime that comes from not taking care of business the right way and so if you take some of that money out and say some of you cops need to go be social workers and go and do this that and the third 
that that might be what they want. But the wording is it's problematic. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, and I I did see that. I did see where he, the guy was speaking basically and saying like, yeah, the everything that you know is out of people's control. People call, call the police for whether it's a black dude in the park telling you to put your dog on the leash or <laughs> uh, fucking coming to you know pick up wild dogs that are just running around in the streets or people uh homeless people with mental issues all kind of shit like that where other uh societal or, or social programs uh would you know hopefully alleviate stuff like that and i agree with you uh, we need something but i i don't think you know they're ever going to defund the police force because they already got a problem not defunding uh the military where we're constantly pouring more and more money for more and more equipment, more and more shit. Like this is, that's the American problem. Like, and and I would assume that the same people who make money from the mil- military industrial complex and from you know war profiteering, all that shit, fucking Lockheed Martin, all y'all. Um, I would assume they a lot of them are making the same gear for police and lying in those same pockets. Prison so. industrial complex, also. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, exactly. I, I want to say. Uh, to me, the de- defund the police has been completely snatched up into the social media storm. I will get into it later because y'all know how I feel, man. Anyway, uh, all I want to say is don't get lost in the social media sauce to all the listeners. But um, with regard to defund the police, when I first heard it, it sounded to me like deregulate the police. Um, and, you know, I know it's not a complete perfect apples comparison, but, you know, to me, it's like conservative values is all about taking government out, take taking the money out of government programs because we don't want the government to uh, dictate our lives. You know, we want less government. That's or the conservatives want less government. And how do you do that? You deregulate and you take money away from government structures. No, that's not necessarily true. I mean, that's what they say, but that's not what they mean. That's not well, what they do. In, in, yeah, I feel you. In actual actuality, that's not what they do. They just put it elsewhere to benefit them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But but the thing is that look, deregulation to me doesn't work all that often. You know, you, internet, oil, um, freaking Enron. You know, the, the whole situation was that they had there was no deep regulation of what they were doing. Same with the financial crisis. Financial products were not regulated. So mm-hmm. I feel as if, you know, definitely I think the police forces need to be lessened. But defund the police is just a sort of nice, clean social media talking point for now. We'll see what the policy wants come up yeah, with down a, the line it's a buzzword it's a, it's a headline you know everybody wants to to get the the two second news spiel it's like that's eh, not how the world works man you know that's yeah that's just it's unfortunate yeah and it just sounds like budget cuts which sounds like people losing their jobs and those people who have guns are not about to all just walk away from their jobs and i'm not even talking about citizens obviously i'm talking about the police officers who are not going to be like, oh, so you're shutting shutting down our whole precinct? Nah, that's not going to happen. And I, yeah, I've seen yeah. other uh, fucking police chiefs and stuff speak out against this. Again, kind of using this fucking buzzword uh, against the movement um, to be like, yo, so we're just going to stop, right, stop, you know, coming to your your aid and safety and shit like that. Where already, you know, how often are you? directly interacting with the police like the only other times for real for real are when people call the police if you know yes you you get swindled or or you know 
a, a crime, an actual crime happens, but also when we have car accidents, you know, you got to call the police so they can come and, you know, file a police report so your insurance, com- insurance company can fucking follow up and you can actually get your money and all kind of shit like that. So there are all these other financial structures that are tied into this that I don't think we even realize. And I, I mean, don't the, the, think. The p- oh, go ahead. Uh, no, nah, I'm done. Go ahead. <laughs> my bad. I keep, I keep cutting you off. I feel like you, you're, you're about to stop. But anyway, um, I was about to say like the, the cops actually do a lot of good, you know, like, yeah, they yeah. do a lot of bad things too, but they actually do help the communities in many ways than. Yeah. The bad things you know, just people, get super publicized, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, with the way they, they interact with the black community is, at least, you know, it's a, it leaves a lot to be admired, but, um, you know, I think this is why the defund is kind of scary. I think, you know, better wording, but sometimes you, you gotta go with what you have and maybe that's the best they could come up with. And that's what caught on. And so, well, they painted it on the DC, the streets of DC. So yeah, caught on. (laughs) I've been thinking a little bit about the protests, the looting, the rioting. Um, I, want to hear your guys' thoughts about you know where where do you stand on the on the rioting the looting uh, because i think the police would argue that they anticipated rioting and looting would happen and so they have to sort of come in force early early in the protest in order to mitigate it um personally i believe someone someone has to take an l you know th- i think to a certain extent people can kind of think of these social movements as a zero sum game um, but when it's this uh, huge and, and it's this emotional and it's just this moving, someone's got to take an L because there's a lot of people in pain. And, you know, the movement is about sort of that pain coming out. You know, the pain was exposed with the George Floyd video. And I'm just like, look, man, I don't want to say let it burn, but. You know, some of those people who are taking L's whose businesses are getting destroyed. And I absolutely hate that's happening, especially in the context of the coronavirus, which is destroying so many small businesses. I'm just like, look, someone somewhere or lots of people in lots of places, the whole entire nation needs to learn something new about themselves and our society. And someone's got to take the L. To me, that comes in the form of looting and rioting. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like, wh- who was it that said that the rioting and stuff like that is the voice of the unheard or the cries of the unheard? I mean, it, it, it and it's crazy because it's like rioting is not even only because people want change. Sometimes people are just mad. There's just a bunch of mad people. Yeah. They're mad their, their football team lost or the hockey team won. And, or their football or team won, yeah. Yeah, they, they go and like start burning cars and flipping them over and stuff. Like, I mean, sometimes when you're just too hype, you just got to fuck shit up. <laughs> so, right, exactly. Yeah. But they, I, the, my, the only reason why I'm against the riots, um, you know, like you said, A, the, you know, destroying small businesses. I mean, even the large businesses, I'm not sure people should care too much about them because they potentially have benefited from these institutions of racism. But, I mean, the second thing is that the the news media is going to be drawn to them like moths to a flame. You know, they they're not they're going to ignore all of the important shit that that people, you know, the actual voices that need to be heard, and they're just going to be like, "Oh, the Macy's was 
was, uh, you know, looted. Oh, they burned down the AutoZone. You know, it's like, I mean, and then they're going to be trying, oh, yeah, they, uh, they're, they're not going to focus on the important things, which is the only reason why I was against, I, I guess I still am against rioting and looting is because it distracts the media, not that, you know, it, it isn't somewhat justified or allowable because, I mean, it's just happened. I'm not saying that everybody should be doing it, but, I mean, I'm not surprised or angry that it's happened. Yo, so let me ask you all this. Have you all voted yet? No. For what? Yeah, I can, you can. <laughs> wow. Wow. So we just out here. So uh, sorry about that noise right fast. I was actually looking up the uh, GPS directions to my polling place because I'm going to try to get up in there first thing in the morning. Yeah, there, there are, there are so, um, elections happening in Georgia. I don't think they're happening everywhere. Oh, or, oh like, that's true. Oh, my bad. I think there's S- the St. Louis voting coming up soon, actually. I don't know. Well, make sure y'all fucking vote. That's that's I forgot that y'all are not here with me. Thanks to this fucking crystal clear quality of this podcast and video chat that we are all on together. My bad. I forgot we was in a pandemic. My bad. My bad. <laughs> but <laughs> I just wanted to make sure nice are voting. I, no, make, I sure, make, sure, make sure you register to vote so you can get the absentee ballot. So people need to go register to vote, too, yes. if anything, because uh, a lot of them are probably going to be from mail mail in ballots. Yes. And I will say, like, you know, I, I do I am a little bit torn about all of this fucking process because we've seen that. I mean, our elections here in America are fucking broken. There's nothing really we can do. Well, there is stuff we could do. We could fucking riot and protest. But I feel that one of the biggest uh, the fir- the first biggest thing that we could do is obviously money. Um, and we collectively do. Well, we individually do not have enough money, but collectively we do. So I would say donate and niggas that are fucking billionaires and Drake and all of this and that, you know, them providing funds to either get politicians to take action or get them the fuck up out of there, I think is really important. Um, I've been trying to speak on that. Um, but I got a question. Yeah, for you, Marshall. I, what's up, man? How much money should Drew Brees donate to rectify himself? All of it. Hold up. Let me look at his fucking. Uh, <laughs> oh, I cannot career, wait career earnings. to get into this shit. Career earnings. <laughs> now, yes. Now, y'all know, you know, I'm a big time Falcons fan. So there's already. The Aints fucking Falcons uh, rivalry of all time. That's just so hilarious, to be honest. Like, it's it's so much fun. You know, we love to hate them. They love to hate us. It, it is what it is. I got some friends uh, that happen may or may not be Saints fans. And, you know, it really tears me up inside. I saw uh, it was one time when I was younger. One of my friends, uh, my, my little brother's friends had on a Reggie Bush Saints jersey. And uh, I saw him in the house and was like, bro, you got to take that off. You got to leave. And yeah, believe that. I made him, made him take it off. It's like, mm-mm, can't have that in my house. Mm-mm. But for Drew Brees, um, I mean, you know, a million dollars is fine. Like, I, I don't want to be out here spending this dude's money like that. I, I don't think that's ever appropriate to be out here, you know, checking other people's pockets, particularly on where they decide to put their money, because he does have his own opinions. He is his own man. He voiced his own opinion. I can, you know, with my own opinion, say that that man was wrong because he misconstrued, you know, obviously what the fuck was going on. But but you, you gotta you can't gotta be afraid to speak out, you know. You gotta understand that he's he's watching Fox News, man. Like that's what they preach on there. I mean, you know, like me and Tunde, I was talking to Tunde. It's like Fox News is state-run media. You know, it's like they are they are there to propaganda and to to sway opinions at any cost. Yeah. So I mean, I'm sure he's watching that shit and he's absorbed it, and that's why he said what he did. I mean, because nothing about what Colin Kaepernick actually said or actually did reflects a protest of the troops and the American flag. Yeah. Like that's not what 
<laughs> I don't know where he t- got that from. Um, yeah. So yeah. even yeah. that, uh, yeah, an immediate dog whistle. Yeah. Um, uh, and yes, since then his fucking teammates and stuff have spoken to him and shit like that. But you know, it doesn't change the the fundamental belief that he may have. And I don't, I don't think he's racist. I don't, I don't think that. But I think he had been led astray. And he, being a leader himself, has probably reinforced hella people who didn't listen to his apology and shit and be like, oh yeah, I do fucks with that guy, Drew Brees. Um, the same thing happens in other big time controversial, uh, social, um, instances where like, I don't know if y'all remember Chick-fil-A, uh, the CEO who, and, and they've historically been against LGBT stuff. They have since, you know, changed their ways, but like soon after some of that news came out, there was like some, you know, unofficial Chick-fil-A day where, hella fucking, you know, religious white people were rushing to Chick-fil-A's doors to pack them out to show their quote-unquote support. So, you know, these these companies, these people, these celebrities who have the public's ear, you know, even when they fucking backpedal, there's no going back from what has been said. You know, we live in a society where uh, hashtag we live in a society where um, you know, nothing, everything is permanent. Everything is out here on the record. It doesn't matter that you took it back. Yeah. Y'all know how I feel about these um, social media draggings. I will say, <laughs> Drew Brees was asking for it, man. Like, you got to yeah. protect yourself from getting Twitter dragged. You know, it wasn't. So he wasn't even on a fucking racial. Like, he took it there. Like, the person who I don't know if y'all watched the real shit, but like, nah. it, it wasn't. He, he could have side, not necessarily sidestepped the question. He could have given an answer that didn't put himself in the line of fire. Uh, he was on some. I mean, was he like was so a, a forceful about it. I will never support. I mean, that's all you have to say, particularly in this movement where it's all about support and people, white people are coming out of the woods to support. And he said, it doesn't even matter <laughs> yeah. what he says after that. I will never support. I mean, come on. He was asked yeah. for that dragon, man. I mean, it's funny though, because he, he said the exact same thing a couple years back when they were asked him about Colin Kaepernick before and he said the exact Facts. same thing. I mean, I, and so he, you know, he's not, he hasn't changed his opinion. He hasn't enlightened himself. He hasn't done his research. So, you know, and, you know, at the end of the day, man, I really can't blame people because the, we're not taught this in, as a part of American history. This stuff is left out. Like I had to teach myself this, um, cause I didn't have parents who were from here to like explain a lot of these things, a lot of the, the effects of racism. Um, and the essentially economic assault that the U.S. system had put on black people to prevent them from excelling in any way, shape or form. So, you know, I, if I, I mean, if you're white, you have no reason to look into that. Like, the only reason why I looked into it is because I'm black, you know, and I'm wondering what's going on with the people who look like me and the people I hang out with. But yeah, if you're white, you don't hang out with no black people. Like, you don't have no reason to look, look this up. Like, you're not going to see question the police ever or anything yeah. like that. Yeah, never. You don't have any Yo, reason. I, do, I want to ask y'all as uh, Nigerians of the podcast, you know, patron Nigerians of the podcast. Burr, 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 burr. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> did y'all's parents ever give y'all the this is what you do when the police pull you over talk? Or were you ever like with your parents when they got pulled over or any shit like that? Um, you know, I, I it's interesting because I don't think that well i'll speak for my parents but i'd probably say a lot of nigerian parents don't have like these um sort of like really emotional intense conversations about it 
I will say this. My mom told me from a, a long time ago, from when I was very young, as a black man, you have to work harder. She said, she says it to this day. I don't recall too many conversations about police issues. You know, I'm sure she said, she's just always just like drive safe, that sort of thing. You know, don't drink and drive. Make sure you get home at a reasonable time. Um, but I will say for a fact, my mom has always driven home and my dad that as a black man, you have to work harder. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious yeah. to hear what he has to say. Yeah. So, I mean, I think a lot. I mean, <laughs> so I don't think my parents ever directly spoke to us about racism as in like explaining it. And I, you know, and I, and I assume it was partly because they don't want to discourage us from putting forth full effort because, you know, it's hard to put forth full effort when you know that it'll be automatically discounted and other people have a leg up on you because of something that is inherent about them, you know, their appearance, not their actual effort or intellect. But, um, you know, the time my dad told me, I remember this because I was like, this is so bizarre. But, but he told me, he was like, you should, whenever you're driving, never wear a tank top and be shirtless because the police will see that and they'll pull you over. I was like, what? That's really fucked but, though, man. But he was, <laughs> but, um, and I think he was like, don't, don't like drive around with your music too loud because they'll come after you or some shit like that. And, I mean, he's basically, I mean, he, he, he was speaking on it, but my parents never actually really like said like, Oh, I mean, they talk about racist, like stuff that's, you know, they, they talk about white people and them doing, you know, racist things, but they don't they never really talk to us about it. Like directly, like, Oh, okay. You, like when you go out there, you got to expect that people are going to be this way to you. Nah, they never really did that. So another question for you, Herschel. Has Kanye officially redeemed himself after having donated two million dollars to the cause? Uh, I think specifically to George George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmaud Arbery. Uh, so first off, uh, exactly what I previously said about Drew Brees about how like the shit you said it said previously doesn't go away. You've already fucking you know gained people to either one cause or the other, or riled people up or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, he hasn't fucking washed away his sins like. Uh, it has, you know, it's helpful. Any any dollar is helpful. And now I actually do have an answer for your Drew Brees question. Drew Brees got to double it, to be honest. To even mm-hmm. like start to change my mi- mind, he's got to give four mil and like not even, you know, he better throw all his <laughs> touchdowns to black players. Uh, they got to cut Taysom Hill, uh, fucking everything, dog. Like, I, that's that's how he fucking, you know gets reparations from me so michael thomas better be mvp this year otherwise it's over with (laughs) yes facts which is possible like you know i i don't deny that that shit could happen but um i mean these you know these statements don't go away man uh especially in the society where we just are out here living or, or you know remembering people at their fucking very worst moment um it sucks that that's the case this is definitely you know a step towards healing but kanye gotta make some more you know black empowerment music he got a fucking i mean i guess he's already smashing a white girl so i don't know um <laughs> man armenians are middle but, eastern man she's not white yeah they're, i mean they're basically you know people of color as well of the european yeah, they, they world they, they would get 
yeah, they, yeah. They, first off, they claim white, but they get prejudice against them, similar to you know uh, other ethnicities where you know skin color is taken into account. They were considered gypsies and shit, like the Hungarians and all kinds of stuff. So I, I get it that they want to consider themselves minorities, but here in America or where, where when the police pull you over, uh, that's where like the line is. So even you know these black people, black men who you know, don't identify as black. I kind of want to interview and talk to some of them, but it gets so contentious um, very quickly. But like, yo, it doesn't matter what you believe. It's, you know, perception is reality out here. And like whatever mm-hmm. the cop po- perceives when he pulls you over at 2 a.m., you know, that's what it is. It's not even uh, just the cops, matter. though. I mean, I think I think people are minimizing this to just interactions with police um, and the legal yeah, system. Yeah, I am sorry about that. But well, I mean, not just you, but I'm saying like, I think you were talking about a specific instance, but I, I mean, this kind of just made me real, realize, you know, something that I was thinking about before is that, I mean, this is a, this is an American issue. You know, like you show up for a job interview and they see that you're black, you know, that changes their whole perspective of what's going on now, you know, for, for a lot of people, some people, you know, some people know, but for a lot of people, that sort of thing makes an impact, even if it's not in the context of, law enforcement in terms of opportunities and you know your your ability to get certain access to different things you you may not be afforded that just because people can see that you're black i mean they they talk to you on the phone and then they see you in person and they they switch it up you know um it's that sort of thing so i think it's we need to expand it beyond um just criminal justice system most definitely. And yeah, for me, you know, it, again, it, it's about policing as far as like the United States. And I, I like what you said about it being a, an American thing. Like the United States loves law and order. The United States loves the military. The United States loves uh, punitive actions for anything, anything, you know, freaking speeding tickets or on your bank account. You get a fine for this and that fucking Xfinity, man. They they got fines for it. Well, I guess. <laughs> that one, that one's a little bit of a Freudian slip. Fuck Comcast, by the way, because they always charging that nigga. But just in general, because <laughs> you forget to pay them. <laughs> no, no, because they just charge. They, dude, I, I'm telling you, my bill goes up every month, even if it's just a couple cents. It goes up oh, yeah. every month. I'm just like, they how? Do that to me too, man. And the next Secretly. two years later, your bill is like fifteen dollars more. Like how? How? But uh, the United States is a very, a very punitive nation, and and I think. It's been uh, invested in way too much. Um, again, going back to the war on drugs and uh, the laws. Um, what is the one that Bill Clinton is known for? Broken windows or something like uh, that? Or? Oh, no, no. He's he's the um, three and you're out and also minimum sentences. Yeah, three strikes. Yeah, three strikes. Like the 1992 crime bill or something like that, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's just, you know, um, I will say about Kanye West. Me personally, fuck him. That's how I feel. But he has redeemed at like two and a half points. Percentage points black <laughs> out of a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> in order to get back ingratiated with his two million. So he could he could go ahead and donate another fifty million or a couple or a hundred million and we might ingratiate him back. But as soon as he put the hat on, it was a wrap for me. I was done. Bruh, speaking of a hundred million, I know y'all saw Michael Jordan step up to the motherfucking plate. After, you know, years and years ago, talking about some, you know, Republicans wear sneakers, too. He finally, you know, realized, oh, it's not just me that's out here, you know, being Michael Jordan, not black, not white, whatever. Like, this is a real issue. I need to get behind this. 
100 million dollars i had never seen that many zeros like just written in an article before i had to like recount it a couple times like hold up wait a minute what the fuck that <laughs> over it is over the next 10 years he's not just about to he could pull it out his bank account right now but like that would not be obviously physical man he's he's taxing it from but, black people he's just gonna take black I mean, people's sure. money and give it back to black people, yeah, which is cool. Also, but I'm sure getting tax I mean, write-offs for you know, I, I'm not, I, I don't, we don't. Again, we shouldn't be like too much counting people's pockets and shit, though. Obviously, mm-hmm. he got it, but that's you know, that's fucking progress. That's some shit right there. No, and of course, man, they're gonna name it's more not shit progress. After, it, is, it is too late as well, but it's not progress the, until the like the government makes changes. Like it has to come from the top. Like Michael Jordan is one thing, but if you can't get the government to do the right things. I don't care how much money he gives. It's just going to be, you know, water through a, a basket. It's just going to slip right through. I mean, it's just like, you know, if people ask for reparations. You know, they gave everybody $100,000, every black person $100,000. I mean, where are you going to spend it? It's going to go right back to the people who have been punishing you since forever. You know, because nothing's, nothing's changed. I mean, you're not going to be able to change the system just by giving money. Um, like, those guys need to show up and... Like use their their you know just these guys who've built businesses and they're titans of industry like you 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 have free time now and like a lot of power and clout to show up to people's offices and tell them shit and they will listen you know like these are this is what they need to do they need to show up and like and actually do the advocacy in person you know I don't really care if you're giving money because the the money will come if the actual change happens mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I agree. Um, my thing is that, you know, you can donate a hundred million and it doesn't, it doesn't mean that a hundred million dollars is going to be infused into, into change. I think, you know, there has to be meaningful oversight and, you know, you, a hundred million dollars, white people are going to touch it. And I'm not discriminating against white people. I'm not suggesting that they can't be a part of the cause, but if you don't have people, community members specifically of color, who are involved literally line item budgeting with this type of money. I, you know, I, I think the same issues that we've dealt with for decades and centuries could continue to be perpetuated, which is that it's mismanaged and, and potentially invested in, in proper areas. So, um, yeah, I mean, shout out to Jordan, you know, finally got her wa- around to watching the last dance. And I was originally afraid cause I, I felt like I would be, um, compelled to to consider jordan the greatest but after watching it i i know for a fact he's not so we ain't even got to talk about that on this podcast oh this is a sports podcast man you can't just be out here never forget dropping fucking grenades into the podcast and then just walking away that's not cool all i'm saying is that you know lebron is the greatest that's all i'm saying i mean hakeem is number two i'll go with that too i'll go with that too shoot I, I will say this. I, I have come to see that Jordan had a lot of things going in his direction. And I didn't mm-hmm. realize how actually nasty mm-hmm. Scottie Pippen was. Yeah. And, you know, they went to, I think, the second round that one year without Jordan. I mean, like, come on, man. Jordan had a lot going for him. So I'm, I've actually detracted or, or moved even further away from considering him the GOAT after watching that. Bro, I think ha- Hakeem's the best because he never had any help. Like, who's on Hakeem's team? Nobody even knows nobody on those teams, man. <laughs> Clyde Drexler. Like, <laughs> okay, I guess Clyde Drexler. <laughs> he also had Kenny the Jet. 
Man, KD Jet sucks. Everybody <laughs> knows that. Man, he doesn't suck, man. He wasn't he wasn't pipping, but he was nice, man. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Um, so I, I have to get into my social media rant real quick, but one quick hit before that. Um, I have it written here as Zucker f- versus Facebook. And I just have to say Zucker because f- it's hilarious. But um, and also, you know, so the president has been completely just horrible and disgusting with how he's managed the country, but specifically the protests and the death of George Floyd. And uh, I mean, this is just ex- an extension of how he's managed the coronavirus pandemic. Which oddly feels like a long ass fucking time ago, but whatever. I digress. <laughs> yeah, um, it's crazy. So Zucker f- <laughs> is suggesting is saying that that he shouldn't regulate what the president posts or says, even if it you know maybe suggests inciting violence or if there may be some racist undertones to his met to whatever the president is posting. And you know, I mean, first of all. Me calling him Zucker, f- I think, says enough. I'm not the biggest fan of him. I'm not the biggest fan of Facebook, okay? But I kind of 100% agree with him, man. I, I don't think... You, what? I, yeah. I, I don't think that he should be censoring. The people need to see what the president has to say. Well, no, not censoring, like blocking him, but doing what Twitter did, I think, is the absolute best thing you can do. Because yes. they have terms of use policies and he does violate them. But, so he doesn't get to flout these rules just because he's the president. He needs to obey the rules of the platform. I mean, he signed up to the same user agreements that I did. Like if I was posting all this violent shit and people paid attention to me, I would be banned. They wouldn't even put no sticker on my I, They would ban you. <laughs> yeah, yeah so, There's a big difference between censorship and what they are doing. Like, or what Twitter is doing, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely don't agree with, uh, Zucker f- stance as <laughs> Facebook. Like, I mean, bro, he's got you, you have a responsibility. You run this company. Yes, it will be perceived toxically. But I, again, I feel like this is another one of those issues where people have twisted it around and been like, Oh, well, look, he's trying to silence me and fucking, you know, censorship. And, you know, what happened to the first, uh, amendment where, uh, you know, freedom of speech and da, 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 da. Fuck out of here. That, doesn't apply when you are inciting riots like when you have the platform and the power that you do like Mm -hmm. what the fuck you know there are checks and balances to our society whether they be through the government or just through you know you getting checked for saying some wild shit on twitter and then you know they drag you or whatever the consequences may be motherfuckers got to have consequences and the president can't be out here consequenceless it it cannot be that that's dictatorship and and there's rules for for newspapers and um and television like news programs yeah libel for, and slander laws yeah yeah but also I mean even stuff where you can't like propaganda and stuff like that and inciting violence and all these different issues you you can't uh you know there's there's regulations on that for broadcast laws so you know like they you know you have some limits of you know speech when it comes to the standard media of you know news news media but. You know, the, the internet is its own thing. I think it, it has to be regulated at the same level. Otherwise, people will abuse it for negative purposes. Yeah, I I think what Twitter did was a good move. You know, I have to do more research with regard to exactly what Twitter did and, and why they did it, you know, 
um, like specifically going to their policies. But I, I'm still kind of of the mindset that maybe they should have even have even done that. And I'm, compl- I'm I'm not suggesting that the president isn't a complete wacko for what he's tweeting, but I'm just like, I think the people have to just see the complete unadulterated president for who he is, you know? Um, and I, I don't, and I feel like sort of, uh, qualifying his messages with, oh, this Twitter, this, me-, like, I mean, Twitter's going so far as to saying that this message violates Twitter's policies, but we're going to leave it up, you know? I mean, if that's the case, is this the first message that has violated his policies? You know, I mean, I, I you know, I would say like just for the sake of uh, continuity from how they've treated his tweets all these years post, you know, his election. I'm just like, just just kind of let it be, you know, the people will make. And unfortunately, there's a, a bunch of dumb fucks that are going to take what he says and kind of misconstrue it and turn it into and become more racist or, you know, there's a lot of dumb people who are going to read into these messages in a way that are, that's very inappropriate, but you know, that's the cost of doing business. As far as I'm concerned, that's the cost of having a president like him. But I believe that the, we should allow the president to, to be exactly who the fuck he is. And we make that decision for ourselves. I, I think that's dangerous, man. Um, allowing somebody like him to to abuse his his platform i mean you know you, you never want to have to bring up hitler but you know people he started off saying inflammatory things and people were like oh yeah maybe he's just he's just getting hyped just trying to get people going and then things got out of hand um i mean nobody yeah. was censoring him until it was too late and then it was too late then he took over and it was over with so I mean you know, I, I I completely understand, but so why didn't they say something about when? So people people did say stuff in the beginning, and there was a big debate about whether or not um, the the social media guys should should censor Donald Trump because of, especially after he abused Facebook and all the fake news that he was a proponent of and retweeting and all that shit that his campaign was doing with with fake news that um, they were like, well, maybe we should censor him or something like that, but then they. You know that they decided not to. I mean, I feel like at a certain there has to be a certain point where you start. Mm-hmm. You can't have done the right thing from day one, unless you you know you're a savant and you know the future and you can <laughs> you know process all this information. But mm-hmm. I think they they had already knew it was a problem before, but they were you know they they didn't know the extent of where it was going to go. And I mean, the reason why they they started censoring him was first he started talking about inciting violence and people shooting, like when the looting starts, the shooting starts. And then mm-hmm. he started lying about the the absentee ballot voting, which is violating, which is actually illegal. You can't like misinform people about voting laws. That's, mm-hmm. <laughs> isn't that illegal? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. um, yeah, I mean, that's, I, I understand that. And again, you know, for, for the most part, Twitter probably did the right thing, but I'm thinking a, a couple of years ago, President Trump, president, not president-elect, but President Trump was tweeting about how Obama was spying on him and tapping his... I'm like, if Twitter doesn't say anything back then, you know, I understand now it's about inciting violence and he's, you know, commenting on actual laws that could uh, sort of influence voter patterns, but I'm just like... 
I mean, he's he's done this, you know, like I feel like there's been plenty to sort of qualify or censor up to this point. So if they've if they've been of the hands off perspective or 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 method up until now, I don't know. I I I, I will I'll just say this. I I kind of un, you know I think I side with Zucker f- a little bit on this one. Yeah, I mean it's it's it it's dangerous, but I think I think uh the the people will decide kind of, right? Like if if they're mad about Well, that's the my censorship, point. That's why you don't then, say anything no. because the people will determine for themselves what it means. No, because but no, that that's a that's a fallacy. I don't think you can believe that. I don't believe that anymore. I think once upon a time I believed that people would inform themselves they would see something and go and do the research and and make a the accurate decision based on their values but that's not true i think people listen to him and take it verbatim and will allow him to construct the reality that doesn't exist exactly and i'm saying those people are a part of our uh our our country they are voters and we, we that's the cost of doing business when you have a demagogue and also, when you have people voting for him because he constructs their reality for them. Again, going back to these claims that Obama was tapping his phones. I'm sure there are people all over the country that believe that. Has Twitter said anything about that? These these are people that are going to be but, voting I mean, in November. But, but you can't know that Twitter doesn't know whether maybe he was tapping his phones. I mean, Donald Trump is the government. I, I'm pretty know, sure that everybody- that is where the line is where, like, you can't, you know – they can't quote unquote accept responsibility. Although big ass companies like Facebook can, where they see all of the hits that like, you know, Russian propaganda and all kind of shit, uh, has and, and can, I'm, I can't say directly identify, but relatively directly identify the effect of propaganda. Um, I think that's where there's a difference here, but you can't write off, uh, one, everybody's or, or the population's stupidity. Um, so I, I mean, I don't know. I, I agree with you. Never underestimate, never underestimate the stupidity of the American people. (laughs) I don't even, I can't Or any fucking people in large groups, (laughs) any fucking, you know, anything more than like 10, 15 people, y'all gonna do some dumbass shit, man. It's gonna be trouble. Like that, it is what it is. That's kind of a societal thing. Yeah. You know, but I was gonna say though, my, my thing was that, um, you have to let the people decide, like, if they are not happy with the censorship, they can stop using Twitter and get on Reddit or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, the, the yeah. it's, it's still up to his user base. So if Trump is saying, oh, okay, well, since I'm tired of them, like, let's move to this thing. And then they can start their own little world. And that's completely free and fair. Mm-hmm. And Trump could start a company or his son can, and then they can do it that way. I mean, if that's what they really want to do, um, if they feel aggrieved. They have every I mean, right happened. to do so. You're because describing this is, Fox News. Yeah, that's, I mean. <laughs> that's society. Yeah, so they, they have their decide. own platforms. Yeah. So I, I agree that you can't. You, uh, I don't know, man. It's incredibly complex. And well, I, I will say to Ehi, like, I, I think you're minimizing how powerful these companies are. I mean, people are talking about Facebook being a monopoly. Um like you know, yeah. If if people don't like what's happening on Twitter, they can go. But is that going to happen? It's probably not because Twitter has completely not monopolized specifically what they do. 
is Reddit going to be able to come up with some sort of like what they call public square, you know, as, as to the same effect that Twitter has? Like people have to stay on Twitter. People have to stay on Facebook. They don't have to. Those aren't essential. <laughs> yes, they what are. Mean, what do you mean? They That's have what I'm to. saying. They're 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 rising to a, le- a level of a, a monopoly to a yeah. point that they are essential. It's it's an information system oh. at this point. Oh, I you see. Know? Okay. You know, so so it's like if if they so I don't think this is going to happen. And and again, I have to commend both Twitter and Facebook for remaining mostly hands off. But if they continue to sort of like qualify qualify his tweets or whatever, I guarantee you the vast majority of his base will just continue to use Twitter as opposed to leave because they can't. It's not possible. There is no other platform that provides what Twitter does. Same with Facebook. So, you know. It's it's a it's a sort of like real it's very contentious between the president and Twitter. But you know, I would I would say I mean, in Jack general, Dorsey's the man. Wasn't Jack Dorsey with uh Serena? Wasn't no, no, that's the guy oh, that's that, the Reddit that's dude. That's the, that's the Reddit um, dude. Yeah. Yeah, I think he just oh, okay. stepped down from his board position and said that Oh, okay, never mind. Um, I was like Of course he had to go step up against <laughs> Chubby Bees with Serena. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? He ain't really having his head crushed between her legs. (laughs) (laughs) Real low key. Uh, Okay, so, all right, so I want to share a story with y'all before I get into my social media tirade. But, um, so I was, I was on the way to campus driving and I was pulled over. Uh, I was supposed to get on my, on, on a phone call with my advisor, um, you know, with like our weekly meeting, but I was, running late so i was just gonna have the call in the car i ended up texting her telling her that i, I got pulled over um she's a white woman a, a beautiful wonderful kind person um who has advised me and mentored me wonderfully uh but she is a white woman so i just i'm just saying that because that must have been a very interesting situation for her to be in like oh just got pulled over by the cops from her uh six two biggest fuck black student but whatever <laughs> so the cop um you know came up to the to the window by the way i roll down every single window when i get pulled over which doesn't happen too often but that's my go-to because y'all gonna definitely see these hands on this wheel you know but i got pulled over because my windows were supposedly too dark and they were i know that uh i got them too dark fuck the police <laughs> Um, um, I got them too dark on purpose, and also I didn't have. I was missing my front license plate, which was straight up stolen. I I don't have anything to tell you other than that it was taken from me. And I mean, I slacked. I was like sort of slacking on getting that, getting it, getting a new license plate. But I just told her it was recent. I was like, I don't know, it just happened. So I was left. I was let go with a warning. And I just want to say, was I was I racially profiled? I mean, we won't know that. No, you said that your windows were. Dark tenant, she pulled you over because you were didn't have your <laughs> license plate. I mean, bruh, I listen, man, we won't know that without talking to the cop and fucking But but the thing know, is like who gets pulled over for their windows, for their tenant windows? I mean, could she see you that that you were a black man behind your tenant windows? I don't know how tinted your windows are. I, I really don't know. But, I really couldn't tell you, but I mean, I, I kind of forgot about this event until you know the recent events i forgot about that situation until recent events 
And you know me, like I've always just been a little, you know, I've kind of like been like, ah, you know, I don't get racially profiled. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a mental fallacy. I know that. And it's, it's very naive, but I was just like, why the fuck did I get pulled over that day? Bruh, were either of you guys in the car with me? Bro, what are you talking about? <laughs> did you say you didn't have a front license plate? Yeah. Why did you have a reason? Who gets pulled over for that? Who gets pulled over for that? People, I've heard people got pulled over for that. Black people? I mean, it, it, White we, people. We can't do that with this situation, bro. You, you yeah, got to come I with mean, a better situation where, like, I have stories <laughs> where I've been pulled over and he was like, yo, where the fuck y'all going? I haven't seen this color of this car before and I was just pulling y'all over. I want to say one of y'all was with me. It was at least four of us black dudes from Emory in the car. I know at least Ben Hayes, shout out to Ben Hayes, uh, was sitting next to me when this shit happened because I asked him, like, yo, was that shit weird? What the fuck? But, like, I, I just don't know. But well, that's what I'm saying. That's why I'm asking y'all. Was I racially profiled? No. I mean, <laughs> no in this instance, but like you you can't boil it down to just that. Like it's it becomes one of those situations where this is a, you know, grand scheme thing. Like you might have to look at whoever pulled you over his whole day of pulling people over. And if it was like 87% black people in Boston where the population is not that high in terms of black people, then yes, you are racially pl- profiled. But we cannot sit here today. My fucking data-driven, stats-based fucking soul is not going to allow us to say that this particular <laughs> instance was racial pro- profiling. It could be. It very well could be. But I don't think... Bro, we can't do it like that. That's, that's not how... <laughs> We, we can't do it like that. You you at least got to give us like, yo, she called me a nigga. She I fucking mean, that's not how racial broke my tail light on the way out, bro. Like, you can't. I, I mean, what do you mean that's not how racism works? That's like, exactly how racism works. No, that's, that's no racial, pro, racial profiling works because people pull you over for your race and, and they don't necessarily and have to say all that other shit. Saying all that other well, stuff. Well, I mean, if she's keeping you in check, it's part of this whole fear thing. What? It's just keeping you in check. It's It's another part of the whole fear base mentality of like oh i could have got you for some shit but i didn't today and then that validates her for being like oh yeah i was or him or her i don't know if you said it was a man or a woman uh for being a a good cop or whatever like that that doesn't change the fact that it may or may not have been racial profiling i i'm not comfortable based on what you told me i will say this but first of all i'll say this that's the second time i've been pulled over for supposed tenant windows the first time was a bro, long. How, how dark is your shit, bro? How no, no, no. no, no. It, the first time wasn't my car, okay. but it it was actually on the way to Muscogee County to bail a certain someone out. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I, I will say this: if she was only talking about the license plate, then you know we could have a conversation. But I'm just like, for you, you must have been hella shook when you got pulled over by Muscogee. <laughs> <laughs> I right, mean, y'all was kind of how we got. I'm sorry. So you, what? you remember the time we got pulled over uh, going to spring break? Both of us got pulled oh, over at the same time. Yeah. Scott <laughs> pulled me over and you over and was like, I don't know if y'all together. I mean, we were together. But like, yeah. he was it, it was just so wild that he grabbed both of us like, oh, look at these two. I should have kept going, man. I, I fucked up. I should have kept going. Because the I fucking mean, cop. If you'd have kept going, he'd have got you. And then I could have kept going. But like, nah, you shouldn't have kept going because you never know when it could have got worse. Like, that's a whole issue with this police brutality thing you never know what the fuck might happen i count every time i get out of a police interaction with my life a fucking success that's the real victory here that's where i can't even i i'm afraid to call your most recent situation risk profiling knock on wood i haven't been pulled over in many a years now and i do motherfucking speed 
but God, I need some wood to knock on because I definitely fucking just jinxed myself. But I mean, hey, man, I don't look, know. if she wasn't talking about the damn tenant windows and I would have maybe not cared. But I'm, I'm just like, look, for, for a cop to pull someone over for tenant windows. You know what? Yeah, it's bullshit. Go fuck yourself. That's how I feel. Why is it a law in the first place? Yes. What do you what do you why do you need to see in my car? What's, what's the problem? That Kush. Cops. That's what I'm trying to hide. That Kush smoke. Yeah, but it, that doesn't hide the fucking <laughs> that's windows. That don't hide the smell. That don't hide the thing. Yes, I, I get what you're trying to hide. But like that, that's what I'm saying. Like, why are you trying to see into my shit while I'm trying? I'm trying to do anything else. That's true. Yeah, I, I'm low. Key, like, I got these tinted windows because it's hot outside. My AC don't work and I'm trying to keep cool. That's why I got tinted windows. Don't ask me no more questions, police. That's and I, what, I, to my understanding, you, know. you you have like the right to not have your car searched just like your house. So yeah. not if you're black. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. They'll find that's some true, probable they'll, cause. They'll try, yes, they'll try to search your shit, man. I was pulled I over. I had my shit searched in I was pulled over for, for speeding. I was going 10 over the speed limit on the highway coming back from uh, Mardi Gras. And um, the guy, the guy, <laughs> so first off, the, the cop gets out the car and then he's like, it's dark. It's like 10 o'clock in the, at night. And he's like, hands out the window. Driver, hands out the window. And then he has, like, he pulls out his gun, but he doesn't point Damn, it at me. Bro. He just has his gun, like, ready to start busting. I was like, bro, what is going on right now, man? Like, I knew I was going 10 over because I was on cruise control going 10 over. So, <laughs> so I was like, "There's no other reason for this, this at night? to be pulled me over." Yeah, it was at night, 10 p.m. in like St. In Louis, the, like kind of in the middle of Missouri. No, oh, it, was, oh, it was close to St. That Louis. One hundred percent was racial profiling, just off the strength of, the, of it yeah. being Missouri. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, as soon as he got out, he, he was asking me if we had drugs. I was like, "What? Like, why do you think we have drugs?" And then he, he was like, "Well, I need to search the car." I was like, "No, I don't consent to a search." And then he was like, all right, we're going to get the drug dogs to come. I was like, all right, get the drug dogs to come. I know what they're going to do. The drug dog, they can signal the drug dog and tell it to do whatever. And then it will signal and then they'll search the car. It's automatic. Like I've seen this before. It's not like things. So, of course, they call the drug dog. And then the drug dog hit. I mean, obviously it hit. And then they didn't find any drugs, obviously. So, it's like, so what is your drug dog there for? Clearly, it's just so you can say you can (laughs) search the car. Yeah, that's what. They, that's where the defunding of the police need to happen. They need to take the dogs away from the cops. That's real. That's those dog, I mean, those dogs aren't useful. They, they, they. If they want to search the car, they will search the car. Um, yes. They'll just call the dogs. They'll waste your time, and then the dog will hit, and then you're gonna be searched yeah. every time. Yeah, I mean that. That sounds like just policing gone out of hand, and you know, I'm just thinking probably some random ass bill in the 80s or 90s is where like we want drug dogs. And next thing you know, um, you got drugs. It's just an excuse. It's just 100%. an excuse to it's, it's, I don't know why that's even a thing. Like there has to be like a more objective way of, um, like detecting drugs, like in open air sort of settings, because that's the, that's kind of the point is like, oh, we have suspicion because there's evidence of it because the dog picked it up. I mean, but people, people just lie. <laughs> the, the, yeah, the cops and you just can't lie. prosecute the dog. So. Yeah, that, exactly. That's, that's the fucking loophole right there. Boom. Hey, this is all I got to say. F-T-P. D. Fuck the police dogs. <laughs> <laughs> but the police too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yo, I do. 
find it interesting in all of this though, because there are there are black cops and stuff. I have family members who decided to join the police and stuff like that. Like not only one, how do they feel during these times, but like what motivated you to join this society? Was it you know the <laughs> the society? That, I mean, yeah, the police society. <laughs> like it's a cult. I mean, you know what I mean. I mean, it is because they also all of this power is predicated on them defending each other. Like one, you know, the idea of, oh, if I'm in a firefight, I need to have my back at all times. But also, I mean, that's it. basically. So so that kind of gets projected onto, oh, well, I can't snitch or I can't stop uh, this dude on the neck of George Floyd because, you know, they're, they're not going to trust me with their lives. And I need them to trust me with their lives just in case there's some shit. So it is a cult. Um, but. Yeah, man, I got riled up. I forgot what my other point was. <laughs> FTPD. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you had family members who were who are police officers. Yeah. Like, you know, the, there are motivations, I'm sure, for why white people want to join. And then I would imagine some of them want to be like, oh, yeah, well, I want to serve, protect and serve my community and be, you know, a balancing force to those white cops. But then you still get pulled into the same shit. You still get lumped mm-hmm. into the same group when we say shit like fuck the police and, and shit like that. Like it's I I wonder how you can live in such a dichotomous, you know, thought all the time, being black and being being a part of a community that oppressed that is being oppressed and being the oppressor yourself. Like, no, we haven't seen any black cops killing other black people out here, but like you're still on the force. You're still, you know, doing I don't know, police work. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I have been let go by probably more black cops than I have white cops. But I mean, it's one of those questions that like, I think I would imagine even they have a difficult time answering and they probably joined for different reasons initially. And then, you know, some shit goes left, you know? Yeah, they probably thought it was going to be different than the way, you know, the reality is of the situation, you know, because yeah. I'm sure it's easy when you're, you know, you're attracted to law enforcement, that's something that you aspire to and you think about it as a noble cause. And so you, you think of all the bad actors as just bad actors. You know, you, you want to justify it as that. But once you get there, you start to realize. And I think, yeah, that's what you're getting at, um, Herschel, that, you know, there, there must be this internal struggle with, within them because they see this stuff and they can't really speak up because then they're going to be, you know, persecuted in one way or another. Um, and it's, it's tough. I mean, what, have you asked them? Have you talked to your family members about this? No, I haven't, but I'm, uh, bring out, bring one to the podcast, man. Bring one to the podcast. Yo, I might. Um, and it's very, her story, one, she's a woman and her story is even more interesting because she's married to and has two children with a white police officer on the same force. And she's been out there. Like I've, I've talked to her mother, who's my aunt and stuff. I haven't talked to her directly, but we are close and, and stuff like that. But um, yeah, it would be interesting. I might have to ask her. I don't know if she'll get on the podcast because similar to us, other government workers and shit, where they say like, yo, if media reaches out to you or anybody, you know, asks you for you no know, interviews and shit, you got to say no. So I imagine shit like that is going to happen. Um, but you know, I, I'll try to talk to her and see what's up. But, I do want to say this shit real quick because I remember this from 20 fucking 13. I don't know if y'all remember Christopher Dorner. He was this black dude, black cop in Los Angeles. Um, he, there basically became this big ass manhunt for him um, mm-hmm. after like some shit happened. He did kill some people, um, but the the information around the shit is unclear. He did end up writing this manifesto uh, that he posted on Facebook during uh, unconventional and asymmetric warfare 
upon the the Los Angeles Police Department, their families, uh, and their associates, unless the P- LAPD admitted publicly that he was fired in retaliation for reporting excessive force. Which basically means oh. this dude was a cop that was trying to pretend. You know, I don't. The, obviously, the t- details again are weird, and they didn't give out an, a whole lot of information. Uh, but I remember, like, it on the news, like, oh man, you know, he drives this big white truck, and then some other lady who drove the exact same type of truck or whatever ended up getting shot by the police because they, you know, they see people as cop killers and they shoot on sight type shit. Um, and they did end up killing him February 12th, 20, 2013. But I wonder, like, you know, when we're talking about this cult mentality that they have, like, this dude stepped out of line and they were like, nah, bro. Nope, we need to shut that shit down. Um, but it was essentially after a, I mean, he was supposedly reporting uh, excessive force. I need to read up more on it because I don't remember. But this dude was decorated. He was fucking in the military and shit. Uh, seemed to not have any issues until this shit right here. And he basically went rogue and was going off on people. But I mean, wow, that's I didn't even not realize the way that. to do it. But I would definitely I suggest that. Um, check it out. Oh shit, he's black. He's black. Oh, yeah, yeah you, that's the you thing. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. They straight vilified I just thought he was going like, ham. Yo, this dude, da, 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 da. No, there was, a, I mean, there was a reasoning yeah, behind man, the dude, it. And the dude that was just kind of gets, man. you he know, painted over. Yeah. He was on the, basic quote unquote, on the run for 12 days, February 1st to the 12th. So he I was mean, going ham. Like oh, he, wow. he was doing some, some expert level, like, work <laughs> killing innocent people yeah he's he sent but, a fucking uh dvd to anderson cooper of cnn like stating his case you know trying to be like yo this is what the fuck happened and yes he was i mean out of line like that's that's not the way to get any kind of shit done but i imagine he also feared for his life for i mean they they fired him basically like that that was a part of it he reported excessive force which is what i guess we want police to do when they see other police officers doing shit and you know here we are today 2020 wow. i'm gonna have to go read up on this this sounds like a, a real crazy ass story man yep netflix need to make a fucking documentary about the shit but yeah, yeah I mean, we'll he was see. a crazy rifleman man he could shoot this guy was a legit shooter hey well rtbth is never afraid of talking about a conspiracy theory or two and uh <laughs> it's very likely that the people at the top y'all know who i'm talking about <laughs> executed this somehow <laughs> yep so, <laughs> so just again shit. this dude yeah shit is crazy sorry i took us down this dark path but all of this shit is dark man but indeed it it is reflective of these times now where like we're protesting police brutality and we see the police out here just being brutal so he took his own way of protesting which was wrong yeah um and then the police were mad brutal not only killing him but like on site attacking other citizens they shot a couple of other trucks and shit like i mentioned so and i think even when they killed him yeah they fucking just set fire to the uh cabin that he was hiding in they didn't even they i mean i don't know no i think he shot himself he, he, killed he did shoot himself, but they, they burned it down. Like in, in they burned down the right here. It's oh, saying, shit. Yes. Oh, wow. Uh, wow. Oh, yeah, they did burn it down. Directly shooting wow. of citizens, the LAPD during the manhunt and allegations that the police had intentionally set fire to the cabin in which Dorner was hiding. And there's a link to sources for all this shit. So I, I encourage people to Google it. Uh, you heard it here first. Real talk beyond the headlines. We're keeping it real. That's crazy. 
Most definitely hit us up on Twitter at underscore RTBTH underscore. So your boy tune has a, uh, I want to wrap up with a quick monologue. Some positive words. I hope <laughs> we've been a little well, bit we're too gonna, dark. We're going to, we're going to talk about some, some things before those positive words, but okay. Uh, Herschel, did you have some, did you want to say something? No, no, no. All right. So basically, uh, I'm disappointed in the Black Out Tuesday fiasco. Uh, I think I've expressed to you guys my perspective on social media, particularly cancel culture. But I don't have a super deep knowledge of the research, but there is plenty of evidence to show that social media has negative effects on our mental health. And then when you combine all of the data related issues of data privacy and how data is used to manipulate people in elections, at least that's what happened with Cambridge Analytica. I, I've, I've become very, um, I've become a bit Clear. reluctant with okay. the, with social media culture. Um, I'm reluctant to, to take, to take part in it. Well, no, no. I mean, see, the thing is that I, I'd like using Instagram and so I'm still on it. I had a, I had a, flare up a social media flare up almost a year ago on, on <laughs> juneteenth <laughs> that, that I, I was i was moderately dragged and um, <laughs> it was not a good feeling and that's when i started to awaken really because i legitimately felt like i was like in a car accident or in a fight with a bear <laughs> meaning i was in fight or flight mode and i was completely surprised how freaking text on a phone got me so activated and I, 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 that's when I started to become aware more of the social, the effects on mental health. But, uh, um, the book, The Coddling of the American Mind, um, they go into a lot of details about social media and cancel culture and free speech. But they're, one of their chapters on social media effects on mental health is very detailed. So that's one place you can look. So I have, I've been like, you know, I, I'm untrust. I do not trust social media. We'll put it that way. And I think we saw to what extent it's ineffective with this Blackout Tuesday fiasco. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar, but some people on social media, I think they work at uh, Atlantic Records. Two women decided to come up with this uh, social media campaign. And they were using the Blackout Tuesday uh, hashtag. And the, the, the goal was for the music industry to not promote any of their own content. But what eventually happened was that people just started posting the black, uh, the, the black square and also using the BLM hashtag. And essentially what happened is the black lives matter hashtag got completely overloaded with these black squares and that people have written on it. Um, an article in Vox says, who are the black squares and cutesy illustrations before an article in the LA times, um, entitled Blackout Tuesday Backfired Spectacularly. And then, um, you know, there's, there's an article in the Washington Post. I mean, it's, it's pretty clear that this situation backfired. And the first thing I thought of, I've, I sent this to you. I've posted on social media, but Michael Eric Dyson was on the Breakfast Club. Um, I guess a couple years ago, I'll link to the video and he said a quote that has resonated with me ever since. Digital culture is not equipped to deal with analog realities. And that is for goddamn sure. Yeah, man. And, and that is exactly what happened with Blackout Tuesday. People decided that they could 
you know, create some kind of change in, in, um, in digital culture, social media for an analog reality, real people dying with knees on their necks, you know, and I'm not saying I'm not completely writing off social media. And I'm sure that a lot of unawares people, aka white people have learned a lot from social media about like books to read or maybe YouTube videos to watch to educate themselves. But to the, the idea that we can kind of even begin to address the issues, the systemic issues with social media campaigns is, is kind of um, insulting to, to humanity in general. So I'm going to say that again, digital culture is not equipped to deal with analog reality. So, you know, I'm not suggesting that people don't, don't use social media to uh, push forth a positive message or education, but, I think that we see with the Blackout Tuesday fiasco, you know, this is a completely unintended consequences. The reason why, in my estimation, is because there was the heavy reliance on social media to create some kind of change. You expect people in the music industry, people who thrive on social media to to sort of like create a, a positive response because of this Blackout Tuesday hashtag, you know, and I'm not I'm not and I'm sure maybe some positive things could have come about if all musicians didn't post anything and posted something in solidarity of black lives matter i'm sure but again it's one day of posting and there's a whole shit ton of other shit on 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 social media so you know for me personally i have begun to construct how social media is involved i'm involved with social media and i wouldn't i want to say that at the very least, people need to treat other people with better human dignity, which is nothing that has to do with social media. Again, analog realities. When you are speaking to someone in real life, you must treat them with basic human dignity. Social media is not going to solve the problem. And um, for me personally, I have decided that... You know, in order to sort of combat the systemic issues, um, I want to, I don't know how, you know, this is still on, on the works and I'm still training, but in my, in my career, I, I want to somehow positively affect, um, child and family services for, for young people of color who are in group homes or foster homes because I worked in that, um, in that setting when I was getting my master's and I saw so many horrific things with the system. That pretty much feeds these young people into um, criminal justice systems. And that's where it begins. And they have to deal with these, these, um, the criminal justice system their whole life. So as opposed to posting a Blackout Tuesday Black Square, I have made the personal dedication to supporting these people as I progress in my career. I don't know how I'm going to do it right now, but that is my personal. Yeah. Yo, I definitely feel you on this shit being basically a facade. But that, and obviously, to me, that's a lot of social media. I mean, people just use it to lie, basically, or just kind of present a different reality than whatever they live in. But um, I do want to say that every movement gets corrupted in some way, shape, or form, including, you know, this Black Lives Matter movement initially, like, you know, a bunch of people join and everybody doesn't have the same mentality. Um, I mean, you, we see how these protests go. Um, 
that turn into looting and riots and shit like that. Um, though, yes, I do agree that that's been incited by the police. Um, we have to just be cognizant of shit that we get behind, whether it's on social media or fucking, you know, in our group chats or whatever. Like, we just need to be more discerning about whatever the fuck is going on around us that directly affects us. Um, this is w- definitely one of those stupid things that, you know, just got some traction because some people had a bunch of quote unquote followers. But to me, today, it's not going to defund social media. And I would be behind <laughs> that movement. Look, so. look, I will, I will send y'all research studies and I'll post them in the, in our podcast. Social media has a clear negative effect on my mental health. Please go understand, you know, you and also the listeners. It's not, it's not. Uh, a docile sort of uh, um, tool that we're using, you know, post, 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 post. And it, it seems like it's, um, you know, like it's nothing, you know, it's, 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 there, there, there are negative things going on it's in, at the individual level, but at the society level too. And again, blackout Tuesday showed us that it com- yeah. completely, huh? Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. I was just going to say, I mean, it's kind of interesting to me because I've been, fairly pretty much away from social social media at least active involvement anyway my i've always kind of take us taken a step back but it seems like people have been using uh the black lives matter protest as an opportunity to go out and take <laughs> take pictures of themselves or selfies with their shirts and masks and signs i'm like well i hope that you know it's, it's nice that people are going out to, to support and all that stuff but and i wonder it's like what are where are the actual uh you know solutions like what are people proposing because you know we need to be able to to get down to the to the root of this it's like okay defund the police but that's not really a plan it's like you know and i mean if 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 at least the we don't have a specific plan um it's like how are we going to hold our leaders to account the people in in power that who can make a difference or whose job it is yep. to make a difference. Yo, I will say, um, and I know we're getting long, so we could probably wrap it up soon, but I will say Ben and Jerry's came with it with a plan. They didn't just make some social media post. They fucking outlined shit that can be done. It's not something that, you know, they can do alone. It's obviously a plan for the government. And a lot of it, you know, let's be real, is not going to happen or it's not going to happen as quickly as it needs to happen. It's wishful thinking, whatever. But I would oh, encourage yeah. people to go check Thank out uh, their fucking website. Yes, the ice cream company Ben and Jerry. Um, they are about that action. So yeah, they had they had a pretty forceful and strong statement. Um, so shout out to them. Um, yeah, fuck Baskin Robbins. <laughs> Baskin Robbins <laughs> is mediocre as fuck. So hell yeah. Uh, I w- I want to say I figured out how to um the def- the the perfect defense against getting dragged. I figured it out, guys. <laughs> And what's that? You guys want to know what it is? Yes. <laughs> Podcasting. <laughs> the the thing about getting dragged is that for some people it, it's rightfully it, it they should get dragged, you know, thinking about Drew Brees like in some instances you you probably, you know, getting dragged maybe you had it coming, but uh I I think in too many instances people get dragged for one little tweet. And it starts to seep into their personal lives. That's the issue that I have is when social media starts to affect one's actual, again, analog realities. And my, my fear is that 
something that, you know, even if I stand by it, just gets taken out of hand. And next thing you know, you're dragged. But the ultimate defense is to state your point meaningfully with, with more long form conversation, whether that's in writing an essay or podcasting for two hours as we're coming up on 118 minutes uh, so that people cannot deny your perspective and your stance because of some tweet. And I think that's how Joe Rogan has managed. I mean, he, I, I, I think Joe Rogan has a lot of views that I agree with, but he says some things that, you know, could be taken Fucking this stupid. way or that way. He says a lot of stupid shit. He, he does. He does. But he, he has over <laughs> almost 1500 podcasts. So if you want to know exactly where he stands, you can go listen to every single one of those. And you, and if you, and if you, or if Twitter takes a tweet that he's, that he tweets out of hand and, and, and blows it up into some sort of thing and drags him. Well, that's on you because he's very, he's made it very clear his stance on a lot of positions. And so that is my ultimate defense for getting dragged is to continue podcasting. Yeah. That's uh, fair. 140 characters or 280 characters isn't enough for these nuanced opinions, man. All right, yo. Uh, I feel like we can, unless you got some more. Uh, I feel like we could probably wrap it up. Well, I do have one last thing. You know, I've okay. got, I have, I have got a lot to say. I got a lot on my mind, guys. You know, I mean, <laughs> okay, get it out. It's been a, but I just want to say this is for the people, the people of the world, the RTBTH listeners. I think that we are doing better. We're doing pretty good as a nation and globally, probably. First of all, I mean, these protests have been incredibly meaningful and. I mean, I see it in school. I see it in personal relationships. People are completely rethinking race and race relations, which to me is a good thing. Also, in previous podcasts, I've had some negative perspectives about coronavirus. And, you know, I've said how we're going to have to deal with the mental health epidemic after we kind of resolve the the pandemic. And I still stand by that. I think it's going to be a struggle economically as well. But I do believe that we have, for the most part, come together as a nation. I mean, I think people are social distancing appropriately, at least the people that are around me and myself and my friends. I think people You're are wearing horrible. masks, although there are a good handful of people, you know, when I go outside, they're running, literally huffing and puffing. <sighs> no mask, which pisses me the fuck off, but whatever. A lot of people are wearing masks. I think that we are growing stronger as a nation, as people, as individual people. I think we're growing stronger. Despite how corrosive our our president has been um, with his comments and his um, speeches and his fucking press conferences. So I just want to say to our nation, to the RTBTH listeners, to you fellas, keep it up. Just continue to remain positive and believe that we have a brighter future, an optimistic outlook maintain an optimistic outlook and that's all i have to say rtbth we out keeping it real peace, peace.